right. How's it going? Good afternoon, ladies, gentlemen, those beyond the binary, uh, the poets, the perverts, the explorers of all kinds, the uh, the weirdos, the uh, the the heroes, the modern day uh, pirates, those afflicted with overactive perspiration in a city in a country that has felt like a damp sweater all weekend. But it's a beautiful day today. How are you? Have you uh, you been staying cool? You keep it inside. You, you hook up with someone just for the air conditioning. I've thought about it. I don't need it because I've got uh, I got central air because I make that central air money here on uh, Busted Mouth <laughs> here at Q4 Radio. This is Busted Mouth on Q4 Radio. I'm J.W. Basillo, old uh, David Basilhoff. Don't Basil the Hoff. I'm feeling very basled today. Did did I just coin a new word? Yes, yes, I did. Very basled. It's going to happen. It's uh, to me. It's like a mix of of nervous energy and anxious excitement with a with a splash of absolute dread. Uh, I got a big week coming up. Maybe you do too. But for me, you know, Cuss Cuss is finally here. I've been talking about it for a number of weeks. Uh, tomorrow, July third at Under the Gun Theater, uh, I'm playing some new material. All of which is relatively new because I'm I'm actively a musician again for the first time in many years. Uh, so every little gig makes me makes me pee just a little. My pits are sobbing just talking about it in studio that's gross i apologize uh but tomorrow derek brown lizzie ellison are headlining if you're looking for something to do tomorrow night you and, and you enjoy great music and verse come check us out under the gun theater bustedmouth.com for super cheap tickets and info speaking of under the gun the uh bar manager of that establishment john ledley is going to be in studio today in the one o'clock hour and why do i have a bar manager on the show you ask because he like most people in the service industry, uh, has a lot of great stories, and I love listening to him. Um, uh, let's uh, let's get on this rock and roll train uh, on the tracks. Get this rock and roll train on the tracks. Yeah, okay, that was. We'll take it. Get this rock and roll train on the tracks. I'm saying all kinds of stuff. I'm quite basled. Uh, with my favorite, uh, we're going to bring up my favorite vocalist in the game right now. This is my buddy Jay Buchanan and his band rival Sons. Jay, I'm not sure if I have the rights to this song, so uh, tell your label not to sue me. But I need this tune today. It's my go-to for when I'm feeling basled. It's going to stick. I'm telling you, it's going to stick. We've coined a new term. You can use it among your friends. is going on I, I just finished uh, i just finished the brazil mexico game are you all are you all watching the cup i mean that game the brazil mexico game is a lot of fun but uh the cup has been absolutely wild and um i have great news to report i do have great news to report uh portugal the portugal flopping ronaldos as they've been called they have been vanquished uh germany's also out spain is out uh, losing to russia in a penalty kick shootout two matches yesterday were decided by shootout it's it's really been something to behold as it always is uh, being the grandest competition in sports of course but but this year is, I think it's especially interesting. When, when Croatia beat Denmark, it came down to the last shot. Both sides were crying. Everyone in the stadium was crying. They had to cut to a live feed from Croatia. And the opportunity to watch an entire country losing its collective mind, I got to say, it's pretty cool. Soccer's pretty cool, man. You should get on this train. Uh, this, this train I keep mentioning, it's, it's a whole lot more interesting, I think, than, than watching the same few teams swapping superstars and trying to make us believe that any of it's dramatic <clears throat> NBA. <clears throat> you can't play for four different teams and still consider yourself <clears throat> the greatest <clears throat> LeBron. Uh, sorry. Uh, or, uh, or watching a bunch of mammoths giving each other concussions in what amounts to be a giant commercial for American armed forces and crappy beer that benefits a bunch of racist billionaire buddies of Donald Trump, NFL no cough on that one. Uh, they they know what they did, uh, and even baseball. And, and as much as I love baseball, the, the middle three months of the season is just it's such a slog. These dog days of summer, it's like a a mandatory defensive driving course narrated by Joe Buck. 
But enough about sports. Uh, I know why you're here. We're all here for the same reason. It's for the funnies and the stories, and there's going to be more funnies and stories coming up, and certainly the rock and roll. And we got plenty of rock and roll. Let's, let's slow it down just a touch and uh, bring back, let's play a little something from Chicago stalwarts, uh, old buddies, the old minds. Everybody's smiling. Bust a mouth on Q4 Radio, QUE4.org, uh, 1680 AM in Chicago. This show streams live every single Monday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Central Time in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, once again, my name is J.W. Basillo. I'm your host. I, I, hope you're, uh, I hope you're feeling the playlist today. I'm certainly feeling the playlist today. i got to be honest with you. I'm not to toot my own horn, but I'm feeling myself. I, f- I rarely feel myself uh, in general, certainly not on Instagram, but I do feel myself when I'm making a playlist. I'm digging this one today. And if you're digging it, you can always follow us on the Spotify. Uh, go to Spotify, the Busted Mouth Esteemed Audio Companion Playlist. You can hear all the stuff that we're playing today, uh, not direct or anything like that. But, but we, I, just one of the things I, I like to do is kind of take all the tracks that I play that I'm, that I'm digging, that I'm feeling on the radio, and I just dump them in that playlist, too. Uh, if you got Spotify, uh, pull it up. I, I hope you certainly enjoy yourself. And you made it all so it wouldn't hurt. Then it cut the road, and it came on wild. Then it raised it up, up off of the ground. Now the moon is hanging in the sky. Shaking the Ribs, who built the moon? Play that one just for my baby, who I think is probably listening. She's the only one I know is definitely listening. But most of the t- uh, okay, uh, let me. She always tells me she's listening. I hope you are. Anyway, um, yeah, Q4 Radio, uh, Busted Mouth, 12 p.m. to 2 p.m., 1680 a.m. in Chicago. We've got uh, John Ludley coming to the studio just a little bit. Uh, of course, playing that tune. Uh, playing that tune for the life partner. If you're listening on the on the podcast and you're Digging around, uh, there is the life partner episode back there. If you want to know a little bit about a little bit about uh, my weird relationships, um, she took me to a show last night. She saw it, like uh, really wanted me to go to the show with her, and I and I was into it. And I I hesitate to get into this because I I have got a gig coming up. I don't want to put bad juju in the world, um, but I do think that there is something I would. All right, so here we go. I never got to see Charles Bradley before he died, and that made me. Very, very sad. It still makes me sad. I don't know if I'll ever forgive myself. Um, I got plenty of chances. I just never pulled the trigger to see him. There'd always be another show, I thought. And, and when you work in and around show business, going out can be can be kind of a daunting task, even to see someone whose music you really love. And I think about that when I get a chance to see pretty much any artist these days. Um, I always try to take an opportunity when I can. And I thought about that a lot last night as I made the trek across town to catch uh, Serpent with Feet. So Renee got tickets and said, you really should see this guy. And even though I wasn't feeling well, I, I soldiered on and Serpent with Feet uh, did not disappoint. And I, I've heard his work described as, as electro-pagan gospel music, which I think is really cool. He's kind of like a male gothic Lady Gaga. And, uh, yeah, you know, I guess that's a fine enough description. And, and, and he was great and, and present. And he sings tremendously well. And he performs to backing tracks. But then after each track, uh, he would kind of like saunter over to the keyboard on stage and play play like a stripped down piano version of the same song and he would just kind of riff alternating between singing and and talking and and directly addressing the crowd and kind of uh, spinning off into these 
into these uh, yarns in the air. And he talks a lot about growing up in church, and he does everything he can, I think, to, to bring a, a church-like atmosphere uh, to this club that I went to and probably every other dingy rock club that he undoubtedly plays. If you get a chance, uh, check him out. Serpent with Feet. Serpent with Feet. Uh, really worth uh, checking out. Definitely worth your time. Um, but here we go. When the revolution comes, bad technical crews, like the one last night, will be the first against the wall. Like buried vocals, uh, the ignorance of the capability of the subwoofer, the willful negligence of an equalizer are all punishable by firing squad if you're me. And I've talked about this before, and it might get tiresome, but just imagine living in my head. And when we arrived last night, uh, fashionably late due to some due to some illness circumstances I did not anticipate, we, we kind of looked around the crowd, and the crowd was already keyed up, and we thought for sure that the openers had already gone on. But then the house music came down, and uh, an artist that we learned to be the second opener took the stage. And the stage was, was almost entirely unlit. Uh, her name was Lee Mo, and she sounded great. Well, she didn't sound great, but she performed great. Uh, she sounded atrocious in the mix. In addition to being like a really, uh, a really excellent vocalist, she's engaging, and she's, she's careful with the crowd. And, and none of that means much because I couldn't see her face due to the tragically cool LEDs backlighting. Backlighting? backlighting her with no attempt at any sort of spot to to illuminate the artist because who doesn't want to be seen right and at one point she drops like unexpectedly into this dude very dutiful cover of in a sentimental mood and the front half of the venue is enraged at the back half of the venue near the bar that won't stop talking over her now now i know few people go to shows to see the opener but this was an abnormal amount of disrespect being paid for a sold-out crowd It was frustrating for everyone. The people in the back, annoyed that it was now 10.30 on a Sunday night and the headliner hadn't even gone on yet. The people in the front trying to actually listen to a music show. The nerve of them. But this is what happens when you treat a show like an afterthought. Like a, like a given. And you want people to show up on time, you start the show on time. You train audiences that way. You want people to pay attention to the artist on stage, try making sure that they can be seen and heard. I mean, if this is basic negligence, then shame on you and do better, everyone. Uh, but if this isn't just an attempt to get people to spend more money on drinks by pushing the cash grab on the opener, you can get bent. I mean, it may help your bottom line to keep the crowd disinterested and the bartenders chattering, but, but is that worth it? Now... I hesitate to disclose this, but I'm a food and beverage manager at a live music venue that I won't name, but trust me, you know it. Everyone knows it. Uh, So I'm not new to this game. Uh, Both as an artist and a producer, I've worked, performed, promoted, produced hundreds upon hundreds of shows. It takes everything in my being these days to even go out to shows, not just... Not just staying home and watching Netflix, just to actually go out. It, it, it's hard, you know? It, it's, it's exhausting. And a poor show management isn't helping anyone, especially not people like me. And people are out there, and they buy tickets. They get dressed up. They buy overpriced drinks. They, they take time out of their lives at a time in history where more free entertainment exists, both live and on demand, than anyone could possibly consume. So venues and promoters, managers, and artists owe it to the crowd and to the art to create the best experience possible. The audience is king or queen or whatever, but the audience is really key. We have to appreciate an audience. And as an audience, we need to appreciate each other. We owe it to each other uh, to, to help each other have a good experience. So, you know, 
little stuff. If you bump into someone, say you're sorry. If you need to get through, say excuse me. If the bar is crowded, you got to know your order. You place it efficiently. You get your drink. You get the hell out of the way. The only way that we beat the Netflix wars is to make something worth showing up for. Pretty soon, the quality of the artist isn't going to be enough. We're all going to be strapped into VR helmets. And people like me will just fade into the background. Oh, Matt Duncan with Everlong. Great cover there. You, have you heard that cover before? I'd never heard it before. Uh, yeah, it's, I stumbled across I don't know how I found it. I think it was one of those like popped up on a random playlist kind of things, and I, I can't get enough of it. I listen to it all the days. All the days. Yeah, I'm speaking very it's well. It's gentle. Yes, it feels it's gentle, and I, I'm having one of those days where I'm, I'm just feeling completely um, anxious and, and weird and underslept and overworked and all that bit of business. And uh, so I'm playing all the tunes that just kind of like make it smooth for me. I like make that. it easy. Yeah. Like uh, I'm speaking to John Ledley. John Ledley is. Um, uh, 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 service industry aficionado has worked in every bar uh, in the Midwest, I think, at least once. Um, he's also currently the bar, man- bar manager. Is that a good title? Uh, I- I'm not really sure. So te- I guess technically I'm the co-owner of the space. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and the space he's talking about, of course, is Under the Gun Theater that I've been plugging uh, like bananas for the last month on this show. The Under the Gun Theater is the new Lincoln Lodge space. Um, or the new home of the Lincoln Lodge, anyway. Um, also, just a really great theater. We're going to be playing there tomorrow night, of course. July 3rd, uh, Derek Brown, Lizzie Ellison, Accardi, and myself, some other special guests. Um, hey, John. Yeah, we're really excited for that. I'm excited about it, too, man. And I'm excited to have you uh, in the studio. I've, I've been pumping you uh, all day, or at least for you know the duration of this, this episode so far, um, just talking about um, how many good stories you've got. I'm, uh, I'm an idiot, <laughs> and I've been around the block a yeah. Too many times, maybe. But I think like you're you're just one of those guys. And bartenders always have stories, right? Because we just accumulate them. Yeah. But I feel happens. like every every time I talk to you, there is a new story I've never heard that just blows my mind. I'm old as well, so that helps. You look youthful, though. I look youthful. I'm I'm not. How There's old are a, you? Uh, Forty two. You're not that old. I'm thirty five. You look at least ten years younger than I do. Well, probably. Yeah, that but, might be. Well, that's just poor genetics. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh, first, and, first and foremost, um, anything else? Uh, anything else you want to you want to plug? Uh, social media, upcoming shows, anything like that? Well, coming up, we have the uh, B and Purge. I don't know if I'm be, uh, able to say the whole name. Uh, uh, yeah, let's, I don't know if we're not. able to say it. Let's not. Let's, let's just say be B safe. and Purge. B and Purge. Yes. It's a service industry storytelling show uh, where the we raise money for folks in the service industry who are having a hard time or underinsured. Uh, that's coming up on July eighth. Uh, bar opens at eight. Show at nine at Under the Gun Theater. Clark and Newport. Yeah. And uh, so what's that show all about? I've done it, but you explain it because it's your show. Uh, the idea is just to kind of talk about the horrible things that people deal with in the service industry. It can be very hard on people. And uh, a lot of people turn to booze and drugs mm-hmm. to kind of to fix those 
feelings. And what we try to do is provide a space where you can get on stage and just talk about that woman from Naperville who, yeah. <laughs> who ruined your week. Well, and it is, it's a storytelling show. Yeah. But it's a storytelling show told entirely by service industry people who have way better stories than your average human being. Right. And it's mostly like playing to, I mean, there's regular, regular people. There's civilians, non-bar, non-service uh, industry folks in the room, but, if, but like it's mostly but just not like, many. it's yeah. mostly just a bunch of drunk bartenders and servers just being like, get this. Right. Here's what happened this week. It's a lot of preaching to the choir. Uh, yeah, but it's a but it's a it's, it's a it's a drunk choir. It is. It's, it's a, very a fun drunk choir. choir. And speaking of drunk, I think this is. I had Jonah in uh, a few weeks ago. Jonah <laughs> speaking Jerkins. Of speaking drunk, of drunks, uh, and Jonah we in. both looked at each other and went, "This is the first time we've been sober together at the same time." And I don't know if that's true right now, but that I'm could like, be true I'm like, I don't know if you and I. I know I've been sober in front of you, and you've been sober in front of me. I don't think we've ever been sober talking to together. each other at the same time. Yeah, it's weird in the daylight. Even it is weird. It, it, I like it. Yeah, you okay? You working like, it out? I like it so far. <laughs> hey, hmm, just just stretching my legs. Um, just to see. So, uh, what's the? Oh man! All right, I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna pump you for all the stories I can remember, and let's you know we're just talking here. But uh, you used to run a bar in Iowa, is that right? In Iowa City, Iowa. In yeah. Iowa City, is it where you're from, right? Uh, no, I'm actually from uh, Bartlett, Illinois. I was going to school in Iowa. Oh, it's uh, Iowa U right? or University, University of, Iowa? of Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Long story short, we find out that this guy who owned a townie bar going to jail for meth, and he had put the word out, if anyone would bail him out of jail, you could, he'd sign the bar over. So, uh, so it was just straight up, like, if you bail me out, I will give you this bar. That's it. Wow. It's yours. Okay. And uh, so he gets bailed out. Uh, we end up at the very first incarnation with me as the GM. How uh, old are you at this point? 21. <laughs> and two months later, I own part of the bar. The two original owners were stealing from each other, and one was bought out. When the new guy bought in, he was like, you seem, uh, you seem like you got your head together. You own part of it now. So we're running this bar, and uh, gosh, nine months in, I had figured out that while fraternities and sororities were not allowed to uh, spend money on beer, what would you call them there? Their, their, their chapter the, funds. Yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, that what they could spend money on was a room rental fee. Mm-hmm. And so the university like, did the banking for all the fraternities, so I would write them a a bill for a room rental fee for like five grand. <laughs> and then that was, uh, that included your bush light kegs. Oh, that's fun. And uh, Right there in the bar, right? Right there in the okay, bar. Okay, cool. So this went on for a little bit, and the university caught on. And one day with 107 people in the bar, uh, the fantastic police force in Iowa City showed up, and 100 of those kids were uh, underage. So you weren't carting at all? Well, you only had to be 18 to get in. Oh, okay. So it was an 18-plus spot, but like you had to be 21 to drink. Right. We just okay. didn't bother sure. looking yeah, yeah. at stamps. Because <laughs> why would you? I mean, we're all there together. Yeah, right. You can go to the Army, but you can't have a beer. Of course, yeah. That's, that's my feeling. But um, here's the deal. We're not going to write the tickets. But one of our guys is going to stand at your door every night, and no kid's going to walk in here again because they'll be terrified. So we just uh, turned it into a gay bar. And, uh, so the pivot was to turn it into a gay bar? The pivot, well, we had already been discussing it because we had a bunch of friends in town that, you know, being in the service industry, you know everyone. And there was a bunch of people that we knew that didn't have a place to go. And we were this, like, cool little place in an alleyway so it could be discreet for folks that weren't, you know, comfortable being out yet. Sure. I mean, this is like 1999. Yeah, yeah it was a little so different. people were still uh, a little afraid to let that out. Especially in Iowa. Yeah, yeah, especially there. And it just it just made sense at the time. So we did it. And we, 
We're like, you know, we'll throw a party. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if anyone shows up. And if they do, absolutely. You know, the next day, we'll do this. And uh, and people showed up, and we a lot of people showed up. More people than could fit in the bar showed up. Oh wow! From uh, neighboring towns, people had driven in from the Quad Cities, and it was uh, it was, you know, it was wonderful and it was a great time. And uh, someone had offered to work the door for us. Uh, she was about six two, uh, former state trooper, and all she asked is, I'm not even sure if I could say this part. You say whatever she you want. She asked if she could wear a kutraman. Mm-hmm. At the door, yes, um, a marital aid, yes. if you will. Yeah. Yes, that would be the that'd be the way to say it. And the police walk up to the door. Same cop that had been there a week before just looks at her and, "Can you send Mister Ledley outside?" <laughs> so I, how'd that go? And I walked outside, and he was like, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, we just you know new format, underserved community in the town. We just thought, you know, we'd make a change. We don't want to keep breaking the law, you know." And he. Uh, he just shook his head and was like, I'm, I'm going to get you again. And he would. Not at that place, but he would get me again. Oh, really? For other things. There was another cop that, that we were good friends with, and he, as they walked away, he just looked at me and was like, genius! <laughs> when, yeah, when in doubt, put someone with a large uh, marital aid on them. I, I think that's – is the bar still there? It is still there. It's called uh, Studio 13, I believe now. And it's still a gay bar? It is. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Look at you giving back. Well, there's some level of symbiosis there, right? Like you needed a job, you need to keep the bar open. You're, in, you know, in, in right. You need to get the cops off your back, and in exchange, you you create something for the community, which is great. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. That's one of the things I'm probably the most proud of in my whole life. In because, your whole, in your uh, whole life. After that happened, so we had the bar. All our friends were like, you know what? I've never been able to go to this sports bar before. Can I go with you? Because I just want to see what it's like. I've never felt comfortable going there. So I started taking people around all these places that they couldn't go or huh. thought that they couldn't go. Sure. And then the next thing you know, the union, which was the biggest bar in the Big Ten at the time, is like, wait, you guys are doing that? We're doing, wait, what's going on? We're going to throw a huge drag show. And they threw a drag show for wow. like 3,000 people in right the back room. And all of a sudden, everybody could go everywhere. It was a uh, – I, I doubt that it's like that again now because for some reason I feel like things are – separated in a weird way yeah but uh for a couple years there you could walk into like a sports bar you could be a queer person in any sports bar and, and you it could was all walk right. in i'd see like one of my waiters in drag stand at the bar that oh, that's cool could have never been there before that's so cool so how'd you get out of iowa how'd you end up back here well go ahead uh john's giving me this the, look of like should i say this there was a contingent of people who thought that straight people shouldn't own the gay bar ah okay so our office was broken into a number of times, and cash was stolen, and people started to uh, – customers who we thought were our friends started to kind of hammer us on, you don't – you shouldn't own this. You don't really belong. And so I was like, you know what? You guys figure out the sale. I can't do this anymore. I got to go. That's unfortunate, and man. So that's, uh, so that's why I left. Yeah. So you just said, to hell with it. Let's go back to Chicago? I just, yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I was always interested in comedy. I'm going to go to Chicago and do comedy. And, uh, you know, I hope we did a good job. But it sounds like people people want us to go. Yeah. Sometimes you wear out your welcome. Whether or not you did anything to, to earn that, sometimes you're just no longer welcome in a space. And, and you know, that happens. And um, it's it's happened to me in, in certain communities, too. Uh, but it but if the bar is still there and it's still a gay bar, like you, it's, it's cool that you did something to create 
you know, we obviously we've covered this, but like it is cool that you you planted the seed that turned into something that's useful for people, and that's great. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm I'm very proud of it. Yeah. As well, you should be. So you you land in Chicago, you immediately just be you go straight back into the in the service industry. Uh, no, I left with a few bucks in my pocket, so mm-hmm. I, so I didn't have to do that. Uh, it was after going to dinner at Rosebud every day for. <laughs> for nine months and order myself a bottle of wine that can get like, expensive oh boy i rented way too expensive an apartment mm-hmm. and now i'm going out for 250 dollar dinner every day wow and then i had to get a job immediately so i went to i worked at timothy o'toole's first when i came back was that when was csyk still there or no. they hadn't been there yet right no that wasn't uh that oh, wouldn't, i guess that not. wouldn't even happen what, for like what, 10 year, more years. what year was this like 2002? Oh, one? okay, okay, okay. All right. So you and I came into the city as full-timers, uh, full-time adults, around, right around the same time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, for some reason, my, my timeline is off. So you just started working there, and you, uh, I didn't know that you got into comedy. I mean, I knew like you knew a lot of comedians. You, you know, produced comedy shows. Obviously, The Lincoln Lodge uh, is a great comedy show that, that I don't, I don't want to say launched, but certainly contributed to the growth of people like Hannibal Burris and... and um, Cameron Esposito and Kyle Kinane, Pete Holmes, all those folks. So I knew right. you were connected. That I didn't know you were you were a comedian. I was in Iowa City. I called uh, Improv Olympic, now IO. Mm-hmm. I sat on the phone with a guy named Jason Chin oh. for over two hours. Yeah, being like, "Well, it'll be fine. I'll just drive in from Iowa City, <laughs> do the class, stay in Chicago for a day, and drive back. I can afford it. I don't care." And he was like, "Yeah, it's not really. It's not really how that goes. It's more of a community type of thing. Oh man, you're gonna be here." I think I left Iowa City on a Sunday, got to Bartlett, Illinois with all my stuff, went out with some friends that night, ran into a friend of mine who was moving to Australia, and he said, can you move into my apartment at Ashland Addison tomorrow? And I unpacked nothing, drove down, moved into 3631 Ashland Monday morning, walked into Iowa, uh, paid for my class, and started Iowa that night. Wow. And so you went directly into improv. You didn't do, did you, and, but you, did you do stand-up too? Uh, for a little bit. Okay. Yeah, like uh, Lion's Den. I was more of a... Ah, the old Lion's Den. I, I had started Lion's Den. We were kind of a sketch. I mean, a guy named Mike Burns, who does a mm-hmm. uh, dad boner, I guess, would be his Yeah. His thing. Yeah. Uh, he and I were a two-man sketch group, and so we were, we'd headlined a bunch of festivals, like 04, 03, 04, 05. And kind of bleeding all the way up to 07. We were, we were still traveling quite a bit. What was the name of the group? Uh, it was called Real Good Turbo. Real Good Turbo. Name came out of nowhere? Uh, yeah, just a drunken... One of those things. Yeah. So you were doing sketch and... So we are doing sketch with a little stand-up sprinkled in videos and that kind of thing. And uh, that's when I found out that we were going to be having... Kate and I were going to be having Jude. So we were all locked up to move to New York. Oh, wow. So... Burns' wife already got the transfer. Their condo was already on the market. Uh, we had everything ready to go. Kate was like, uh... Were you and Kate married at this point? No. Oh, okay. So we were like, we're going to hold back and figure out how this works. So we took our moving money, bought the place we're in now, had a baby. Oh, wow. And are still there. Wow. And um, so you got, well, you got the two kids. Two kids. And wait, wait, where are you? You're in Buena Park, is that right? Uptown? Yeah. yeah. I think this is going to sound so weird. I think I saw your kids at the parade. Yeah, they were there. So I always, I always go over. I'm not going to tell everyone where I go, but I go to a certain place in Buena Park where there is a bar that I very much enjoy. Um, 
that I've been going to since that place opened because I used to live in that neighborhood. Um, and I'm, I remember sta- I'm standing there and it's crowded. We're out there. You know, it's, this is the Pride Parade a couple weeks ago I'm talking about. And uh, I'm standing in, in, the, in the crowd and we're just, you know, watching the parade go by. And uh, I, see these, I see these two kids, like, you know, uh, young adolescent types. And they, seem, and it, they didn't seem like bored to be there. They didn't seem um, like they were dragged there by their parents or anything like that. Like they were just these two kids who were engaged and smiling and stuff. And I was like, I, I just, you know. Not being creepy, but you notice people. You're watching the crowd, and I was like, "Man, it's so cool that these kids are like engaged in, in a part of this, and you know they must have cool parents and that whole thing." And then later, I see a picture that Kate posted. Kate, your wife, posted on Facebook, and I was like, "That's the kid. That's their kids. They were the cool parents." But I didn't want to say that on Facebook because there's nothing weirder than being like, "I saw your kids at the parade." <laughs> I saw your kids at the parade. <laughs> that's so. That's so wild. Uh, that is. That's crazy. Well, where we live, they. The whole parade sets up. I don't know why I keep doing hand gestures. Yeah, I do it too. I talk with my hands all the time, and like you can't see it. You can't see what I'm doing, but it's awesome. It's so cool. So the uh, parade sets up. The parade sets up at Broadway and Montrose, right there. Right. So we're kind of landlocked for the yeah. whole parade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since it's done that, we take them every year, and and they love it. Yeah, they're into it. And that's great. great. It's, I mean, it's a fun parade. Later in the night, when they were little, it was tough because there's. Also, a lot of ambulances that have to come to that area. Certainly, and it's loud. And later loud. at night. Yeah. But now that they're bigger, that's... That's pretty dope. Not that big of a deal. Were you there? I was not there. I was, uh, I was playing golf at a country club. Shut up. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was... I was uh, yeah, you I take, was. You take the boy out of Bartlett. Yep. Can't take the Bartlett out of the boy. Can't take the Bartlett out the boy. Um, I remember... I think the first... We've all worked in, like, these bars that are that are horrific. Like, and it's so... It's such a... Uh, I don't want to use the term migrant, but it is kind of migrant in, for a lot of service industry folks yeah. uh, because we kind of go from bar to bar. And sometimes you're there for six months. Sometimes it's six years. And it all, all depends. And, you know, things are constantly in flux. Like you were talking about ownership changing hands in a bar. Like owners are always changing. So bars are always kind of – not always, but most bars are, are in flux. A lot of places don't stay open uh, very long. You play, But you've worked in, like, a, a lot of places. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so transient. Mm-hmm. I, always, I always make a joke like uh, – as soon as you go to a different shift, you're dead to me. <laughs> I get used to having, like, a best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, your shift buddy, mm-hmm. and where you go out for beers afterwards. And then uh, they're like, hey, man, I'm going to move to the bar two doors down. Right. But now they get off at 1130 instead of 12, and now his new friends go to, you know, the bar on the left side. Yep. And you go to the right side, and that person is effectively dead to you. Yeah, it's so weird. You work with people, and you never... Sometimes you don't. Uh, you, you work with people; they're like your best friend. You talk to them every day. They know your. They know your kids. They know everything. And then as soon as you stop working together, just vanish. It's, it's all over. I've worked with people and not even like known their real name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Didn't you have a? I had a girlfriend. Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who I never learned her last name. <laughs> like went home for Christmas with her, never learned her last name. Her grandmother was dead set on us getting married. No idea what her last name was. How? You know what? It was just name initial. On the schedule. Oh, because the schedule's always posted on the wall, and it's like Jenny G. And it or was Jenny D. Oh, it was, Jenny, it was Jenny. Jenny D. And you just never learned her name? It's like, ah, I'll figure it out sometime. It's like, why'd you break up? Eh, she uh, started working Yeah, she AM got a day shifts. job. Yeah, and it's over. And that was it. That's amazing. No, I had another girlfriend whose name I actually, whose whole name I didn't know for nine months, and I'm not sure. I'm not going to say what her nickname was mm-hmm. on Don't air. do that, yeah. <laughs> but we had a nickname between friends. And we had a game of, like, somebody needs to figure out her name because it's been, like, six months now, and I have no idea. And I would try to get her license, and I would try to get her friends to say her name, and it was like everybody was in on it. 
like everybody knew that I didn't know, and she would never say her name in front of me. And that lasted four years. <laughs> Get out of here. I found out her name. Eventually, by, sure. By like nine months. But yeah, then that lasted four years. You were together for four years. You and didn't know her together. name for the first nine months. First you were nine with. months. Yeah. My God. That's insane. Even my parents still refer to her by, by the, the nickname. nickname. <laughs> and they become very close. But when my mom talks to me, she'll be like, hey, you know who I talk to? Mm-hmm. And I, I can't help but laugh. That's insane. Oh. There's like it's it's weird how you how you bond. I mean, I worked in this bar. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, uh, what, one of the reasons that you and I know each other as well as we do and or have worked uh, in such close proximity is that uh, I'm one of the kind of at this point one of the silent producers, but one of the co-producers of uh, the Blackout Diaries, yeah, which great, is which is show. A, another great show. Um, very not not very similar to. Um, it's somewhere. I think it's somewhere between like where where B and Purge and Lincoln Lodge meet. Like it's you know comedians telling drinking stories and that sort of thing. It's a, it's a really cool show. That show's also at Under the Gun Theater. Yeah. Um, and the day I remember the first time we met uh, was the day I used to work in this bar called the Hi Hat, which was a former home of of the Blackout Diaries. And the Hi Hat was was a cool bar, but it was also one of those bars where. Sometimes there was a bar back. Sometimes there was no bar back. There was, I think the day that we met was the day there was no vodka. None. There was not a drop of vodka in the house. And I it was like, that's right. And I walked in, and, and uh, I got, a, I got a, a text message. It's like, oh, the producers and hosts of the Blackout Diaries are not coming in. There's no vodka in the house, rail or otherwise. Like, there's just nothing. Uh, the bar back didn't show. All this kind of stuff. And I am in the foulest mood I've ever been in behind a bar. I'm just like, I can't. I don't know who this guy is who's coming to host, but I'm not into it. And who's this, you know, and I had no idea. I thought you were just another, just, you know, D-bag comedian who was going to come in and, and ruin everything. And then I come to find out you're a, a legit pro. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed doing that show just because it lets you get out all the, you know, I tell stories and people look at me and be like, well, that can't possibly be true. Right. And I like that show because you could tell the story. And everybody looks at you and goes, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, I'm buying it. Yeah. I think I'm that's buying right. It. Well, there are also a lot of places where you, like, if you tell stories to, you tell some of the stories we have to your average folk on the street, and they are horrified. Horrified. But they'll pay 10 bucks to watch you do it on a stage. Right. Right. <laughs> that same kind of thing. What was the story that you told that night? Um, was about, uh, we can talk about, we can talk about high tops, can't we? Yeah. Was that the story you told? I think that was the story you told that night. That's how I knew you were, you were legit and funny. Uh, we tell that story? Yeah. So the story of that is pretty simple. Hanging out, doing some day drinking, like you do when you are bartending. Certainly. Coors Lights are going down fast on a Tuesday. And I happened to run into my friend's bathroom where we were hanging out. And he had a lot of those uh, skin mags (laughs) on the ground. (laughs) And I happened to pick one up and uh, flip through it. And there is a picture of a woman dressed as a clown. And it made me feel bad. Like, it, it immediately made me feel awful. I mean, I thought this was funny when I picked it up, and now I see this picture, and it makes me feel bad, and I threw it back Was it down. a clown thing in general? It was the first time I looked at something like that and thought, this is very demeaning. That's a human being. Like that? That's what? gross, yeah. This is, this is horrible. And, I, like, in my mind, I'm sitting there back on the couch just ripping through cigarettes, uh, pounding coarse lights, and it's making me feel worse and worse. I'm not even still looking at it. Yeah, about a, a half hour goes by, and I'm start to reflect on, like, what are, what are the bad things that I've done to people? And, sure. And uh, in my mind, I thought of the girls who work at High Tops, and the manager there used to come over, and when he gave them their new T-shirts, he would cut out the cleavage of their shirts and then cut the sleeves off while they had them on. 
Crows. And the picture of the girl in the magazine reminded me of some of my friends' faces while that was happening to them. And I was like, I was upset. <laughs> I thought we got to do something about this right now. And so I took uh, some scissors and some markers, and I just started destroying the magazine. And a little while later goes by, and I grab everybody. There's about 14 of us or something, 14, 15 at the apartment. Guys, we're going to the bar. And we went to the bar. We like we drank them. So dry. you left for the on like on the mission to go to this bar. Yeah. Okay. We left on a mission to go there. Nobody knew why we were going. They just knew that we got a discount because I worked there. You know, at the end, there's like two empty bottles of Johnny Walker Black on the table. You just drinking the place out. I mean, just drank it dry. And at the end, uh, I said, everybody throw in ten or twenty bucks just for the girl behind the bar, and I'm going to take care of the tab. And uh, I put the money in the book, gave it to her. She opens the book. I just watched her. She walked directly to the office, got the manager out of the office, showed him what was in the book. And uh, he came over, and he was like, I'm sorry. Uh, we can't accept this. And what I had done was I had cut the magazine up and cut the uh, private parts. <laughs> I had cut dollar-sized dollar rectangles. Oh, God. With the private parts where the president's face would be and then randomly assigned... Uh, bill numbers, so I paid our almost $400 tab with $400 of uh, cut-up smut mag. <laughs> and how'd that go? Well, he said, I'm sorry, we can't accept that as, uh, as currency. And I said to him, that's weird, because if you're going to make money off exploiting women, uh, I feel like you should accept money made out of exploited women. And you had that line in your pocket and just dropped it at his feet. I was a little drunk. That's but I genius. Had it, but I had it. That's like, genius. I thought of it as Woo! I was walking up. And uh, I put my hand on his shoulder. And we kind of just had a moment. And he told her to ring it in his cash. And he took it. And they took it. Did yeah. you have a job the next day? I did. And on Tuesday, all the girls had new shirts. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. You're like Batman. Yeah. Batman for the, for the little guy. I love that. That's, uh, that's cool. How long did you stay there? Uh, not much longer oh, okay. after that. Yeah, uh, just because there was a lot of changes, and I ended up taking a job down the street. Do you think you could do anything else? No, no. I tried uh, two times to get out. Uh, once I took a sales job that was like where you traveled around and and nobody took me serious because I couldn't take it serious. Sure, it was too difficult to walk in and not just tell jokes and like goof around with the person, and it was a serious job. <laughs> And the other one I worked in an office, it was uh, inside sales. And again, I didn't know that you were supposed to actually do the job. So I just started messing with the boss day one, making little flags and sticking them to the front of his desk and like just went right after the boss on day one. Did you know the boss or you just went No, for I it? never met him. What were, like, what were the flags saying? Uh, I had nicknamed him Uncle Scratchy. <laughs> Why? Because his last name was Strachan. Okay. I thought that was funny. It's kind of funny. And he was an older guy who... On day one, I turn around, and he's searching the internet for, uh, he's on one of these uh, real estate sites, mm -hmm. looking at homes in Arizona, and right away, I was like, this company's going under, isn't it? Oh, man. And he was like, no. It's like, why are, you, why are you searching for a retirement home? Where are you moving? What are you doing? Uncle Scratchy. <laughs> and he was like, first off, I'm your boss. What are you doing? <laughs> Sit back at your desk. Start calling people. And so instead, I would call the other people in the office. And, like, pretend that I was a customer that they had just called and just keep baiting them. And that's what I did all day for, like, three weeks was either 
bother Uncle Scratchy or call the other people in the office and pretend that they were getting sales and then be like, nah, I don't want it, and hang up. <laughs> and he, uh, he came to me finally and just said, if I pay you for two more weeks, will you never come back here? That's all it took? And I said, as long as you tell my friend who got me the job that this company's going under and that you're moving to Arizona. And my friend still does not talk to me to this day because he's mad, but did call me afterwards and say, uh, Leo pulled me aside and he told me that the company's going under and he's moving to Arizona because I was right. <laughs> I knew it on day one, you know. Yeah. You just know, like, dude, you're not making any calls. You're just looking up real estate. This place is going under. Wait, Enron and MCI are your biggest, Ooh. and WorldCom, and Ooh. these are your biggest clients. This place is done. You knew it was over. Yeah. And you just, was that the last time you ever tried working like a regular job? Yeah. Like a schmo job? It was like 2002. Yeah. Some of us just aren't cut out for it. Like yeah. I, I'm, I somehow keep landing in management. Like I, I was, um, how it started for me is it was, I was 18 and I was working as a bartender in Wisconsin because uh, at the time my family was living in Wisconsin. I was only there for like five years, but I, I graduated high school and I know I need, and I didn't want to go to college because I knew that if I went to college, I would immediately drop out. I was just a terrible student. I hated it. I didn't want to go to college. Um, even though I had like offers from good schools when I was failing out of high school, it was a mess. Uh, so I thought, you know what? Let me, let me just lay low for a year, make some music, figure out what's going on, just get a cheap apartment, hang out with my buddies, whatever. And in Wisconsin, the labor force uh, for bartenders is largely under 21. Like, you, okay. can, you can tend bar at 18 in Wisconsin, partly because Wisconsin was one of the last states to go to, eight, go to 21. To 21, yeah. So they're like, well, if we make it 21, we're going to lose half the labor force. Because, like, you know, a lot of the young kids were just bartenders. So they, that was the exception Wisconsin made, is you can actually tend bar at 18. So a lot of the people I knew were, like, 18, 19, 20 years old working in bars. Uh, so I, you know, was there, and then I came again, moved, and then, you know, a year later moved to the city, was working at Hard Rock, the oh, hard yeah. oh yeah and i was like i can't be a bartender right they're like not a chance i'm like but i've got two years experience they're like yeah we don't care yeah. uh so i was a host right and within a, like two weeks i was the guy kind of running the host desk because <laughs> right. if you've got half a brain you know right. um and sure and then sure enough there was a the general one of the managers there the guy who hired me got tapped to be the general manager at uh at this new place that they were opening in Millennium Park that no one had ever heard of before because no one knew it was even called Millennium Park. Right. And that place turns into the park grill. And he goes, your quality, come in, come talk to me. Um, and talk to these, these GMs. He's like, don't tell anybody this, but I'm leaving. Okay. But if you want to come, I can, I can hook you up. Uh, so I go in, and we start, and there's like just this absolute um, nothing. There's nothing at Millennium Park. It's just it's been bulldozed. Yeah, uh, and they're they're constructing the building is there, and there's an ice the ice rink was still there, and they're constructing okay. something on the roof. We don't know what the thing on the roof is, but they finally show us pictures of it. I'm like, is it? It's a it's a giant bean, and they're like, don't call it the bean. The artist hates it if you call it the bean, <laughs> right. and they hadn't even made it yet. It's Cloudgate. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I'm like, hmm, Cloudgate's a bean. So I used to go up there during the day and like watch them wall. Well, I delivered lunch and like watch them weld that thing together. Uh, and then it's kind of cool. Though. It's very cool, yeah. but uh, no one knew because like Millennium, Millennium Park, like this place is it's just a pit. No one comes down here, right? So I, I you know, ended up becoming a supervisor there, and then uh, you know, just started moving. And then you look around, and you're like, one day you go, oh, I'm a manager. Like I got into this business to make cash and not have to answer the phone, <laughs> right? Right. And now I'm a manager. And now so, I'm wearing the tie. Now I'm wearing the tie, and I hate wearing the tie. But like, just like if you're good at stuff and you show up on time, because so many bartenders are. Um, 
notoriously, you know, late and drunk and right. uh, putting their whole paycheck up their nose and everything else that you just kind of get to this place where like, oh, you're reliable. Do you want to be a manager? And as a yeah. person who's broke most of the time, you go guaranteed money and health benefits and stuff like totally sign me up. And then yeah. you're two weeks into the job and you go, this sucks. This was the worst idea I ever made. Right. But then you feel bad, like you can't backpedal. So right. I swore I'd never get I would never when I left, um, I was managing a place. Uh, it was Goose Island. I was managing Goose Island. Uh, and I was like 20. So I got my first bar in Chicago on, on my 21st birthday in the South Loop, which isn't there anymore. Um, but it was literally like I was, when you turn 21, we're going to give you a manager job at this place. So I moved over there, and then I ended up Goose Island. I, and at 23, I was like, I'm going on the road. I'm never working a manager job again. I'm never working a bar job ever again, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they always pull you back in. Yeah. What's well, the cash? And are you going to put all the money in the drawer? I put on the tie once. But where was Only that? Only once since we uh, – I don't even want to say because I'm embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> just, a, just a little family restaurant. Oh, okay. okay. Bar restaurant deal uh, in Lakeview. And I did it for about four months. Mm-hmm. God, I hated it so much. I still hired myself to be the bartender. Mm-hmm. So I was the manager who sure, hired yeah, myself. Because yeah. – right. Because I know I'm not going to steal from me. I've been that guy. And, uh, yeah, just the phone calls and the emails and the, dude, just leave me alone. You're making more money than you were. Yeah. Six weeks ago, you're already making twice as much money at this bar. Why are you emailing me at four in the morning about, I think we should put olives on the bar for people to snack on. Oh, God. No, just leave it alone. It's working. You, go do your other thing. You hired me to fix this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could do that without being the manager. <laughs> That's what I found and make, you, and make you ever, more money. Do you ever worry about – and I, I had this uh, – I had a buddy who used to hang out at Gibson's. Like that was just his thing. Yeah. And um, he was one – he lived in the condos next door to my place in the South Loop. And he was like, hey, you want to – he'd come by and he's like, can you knock off for a couple hours? You're going to get a – you know, you want to go grab dinner or whatever? And, yeah, sure, no problem. So we'd go and he was – he knew everybody at Gibson's since he was like a teenager. He was one of those guys. Yeah. Um, and I remember like just – you go to Gibson's and there were these dudes downtown and they're like all 70 years old. Mm-hmm. And they make hand over fist money. There's a reason they haven't retired, and it's yeah. not because they don't have any money. And I, I remember looking at those guys and just feeling really worried about my future. Like, is this where I'm going? Because I know that this is not where I want to end up. Even though it's like I'm, I'd be good at this, the money's good. It's not really where I want to end up. Do you, like, do you right. ever, do you ever get? Does that bug, bug you at all? Does that keep you I up? Ju- you know what? I had a similar experience at the uh, Rosebud Steakhouse. Sure, same kind, of, same kind of deal. And I went and sat down. My my waiter was about sixty five. And for what we tipped him, it was like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. You had four tables. And having worked in a steakhouse before, like, mm-hmm. I know you stay there forever. Yeah. But, yeah, that does uh, more so lately with my kids getting ready on the way to maybe go to college or. Yeah. Like, man, I can't be the, can't be the bartender dad. Forever. Can't have the, you know. Yeah. Even though the money there is really, especially steakhouse money. Like, yeah. I knew a dude who used to work at, uh, used to manage Magnums. Remember Magnums? Yeah. Downtown? Yeah, yeah. He was a manager of Magnums. He gets a phone call that says, uh, hey, Scotty Pippen's coming in. Not, a, not an uncommon thing. Like, a lot of times you get a phone call and sure. so and so celebrity's coming in. Can we make sure we got a table for him? Put your best waiter on it. Yeah, no problem. Right? Very common. He puts his best waiter, his best front waiter on it. And this guy's pulling in money. Right? He's the, he's the head waiter at Magnums. He was making 80 G's a year. Working three, four nights a week, right? And he just got a dead table. Well, what happened? No Tippin' Pippin' shows up, right? Yeah. And everyone knows No Tippin' Pippin'. It was just like a perfect nickname for your uh, deplorable behavior. Uh, he shows up, and um, 
I can't believe I'm telling the story. So he gets in there. <laughs> Pippin shows up, and Pippin's wife is there, and she's got this lavish fur coat, right? And the waiter's like in this private section of, uh, of the back, and he goes, uh, "Sir, or Mrs. Pippin, would you would you like me to take your coat? I'd be happy to take it down to coat check for you." And uh, Pippin stops him and goes, "You know, no white man who pushes plates for a living is ever going to touch my woman, my wife's forty thousand dollar coat or whatever it was." <laughs> and it's just like, even though I make eighty thousand dollars a year. Even though I've climbed my way up to this great job in the service industry, I still have to take indignities from jerks all the time. Oh, yeah. It never stops. Oh, it's unbelievable. But it's, it's daily, and people don't get that. So, like, when, if you're mean to your server, if you're mean to your bartender, you're not a good person, period. It's like the prime right. indicator. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, to tail back, that's yeah. kind of what being purged is about, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, letting people air those grievances in kind of a private setting where you can really say what you think yeah, without any repercussions as long as you don't say where you work yep, and you don't tell any gross stories because we do there know. There are lots of gross stories. Yeah, and I, I keep those out. There's no, I stirred a drink with my finger after I licked it. There's no. Or I worse, anything, yeah. Right. Yeah. That was the nicest thing I could think that of. That was, yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> really? I'm going, what's he going to say? That I, was good. That was I good really went out of my way to. No, you, you did. You did well. But I've heard some stories that would like just make your not you because you've been right. there. But like some story, I've heard stories that would make your average listener's head just spin around right. in circles. But oh, that's yeah. but and, and I I don't want to talk. I don't want to say that's justice. But sometimes you hear those stories and you go, that dude kind of had it coming. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's the who's the worst customer you ever had? Because we all remember the worst, the, the terrible customers. Um, I, I feel like I've been lucky. In a certain regard, like I've had people that are rude and somehow I get away with talking back to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that is, but like I've never been fired for saying an awful thing to someone who deserved it. But so, you've done it. Oh, I've done it. All you the fired time. back. Oh, yeah. I fire back all the time. When I worked down by the I worked at this great little Italian restaurant by the United Center and uh, the boss was like, yeah, we don't take it from anybody. I love Somebody that. comes in and they're being a jerk. Guess what? There's someone else who'll sit at that table. I took that to heart. And so people would come in and be like, I don't know. What do you think I should have? What's your favorite drink? What's your, you know. Oh, I hate that question. That kind of stuff. Or what can I get for you? And they just look at you and look away. And you just lean in and be like, hey, if you're not going to order a drink, the door's right over there. <laughs> like, I want to talk to your manager. I'll get the owner instead. Yeah. And he'd come over and say, what's the problem? This lady's ignoring me. She's taking up our space. He'd say, hey, ma'am, get out. (laughs) I love that. That's my least favorite question is, uh, what's your favorite drink to make? A beer in a can. Right. They're not fun. Like, this isn't a joy for me. This is my job. This is what I'm doing. Anything you're asking me for, I've made 3,000 times, and it's not fun. Right. I'm not in the corner muddling, laughing away. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I sure do love I do love muddling. I worked in a place muddling. where I had to we had to muddle everything. It was a, a place that I absolutely I hope it burns to the ground. I won't say the name <laughs> of it. Um but it was a a, a a a Latin soul food restaurant type of thing. So they're like our big deal are caipirinhas and mojitos. And I would make two hundred a night. And they oh, had yeah. like exactly we want exactly eight wedges of lime, exactly one half jigger of Simple service. Like, and they would come by, and the managers would order drinks over the service bar just to taste, taste. just to taste them and stuff. And yeah. be like, this one is a little bit sweeter than this one. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strangle you. Like, of course, it's a little bit – like, they're too 
it's not mm, right. it's, it's not a, an exact science it's it's a it's a relatively exact science but it's not perfect That's like right. you, there's consistency like can wild can can vary greatly but like if you're getting to the point where you're tate where you're ordering drinks from three different bartenders and tasting and going like one is 10% more sweet than the other you're that's not a place i could work ever again right and the 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 sad part was i actually got i got fired because they were just they would hire five people a week and fire one they would bring in five new people three wouldn't make it out of training one would get on the floor and then they'd fire somebody else on the floor like they were just constantly like shuffling through. And I knew I was putting in my two weeks notice and I go in on the day I'm going to put in my two weeks notice and I'm not on the schedule anymore. Right. And they got to me first yeah. because some dude had, uh, we worked on an Aloha system, right? So, uh, we shared Aloha is a point of sale system for people that don't, that aren't in on the inside <laughs> baseball. Uh, so, uh, point of sale and we, there were three bartenders we shared two two machines so if you opened a tab and someone's signing it out or whatever it is you've got to close that tab before you could open a new one or you have to just name the tab and save it sure so i had this this buddy who worked next to me who was a you know a goofball idiot who would name if i left a tab open he would name it any sort of obscenity that he felt that he felt like right, right. so then i got to pull this check back up and the check is closed like that that uh, guest isn't going to see it no one's going to see it except for whatever but i would open it up and go did you name did you name my tab douche? Did you do that? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And just, oh, yeah, you know, I know that guy. Of course. And it's like, it's innocuous. No one cares, right? Uh, but sure enough, I go in and sitting on the desk is this list of here's all your credit cards, like printed out, right? And uh, I go, I didn't name those. And he goes, yes, you did. And I, go, I didn't name them. I just like, look. And he goes, who did? I go, I'm not going to roll over on the guy. But I'm telling you. He goes, how would it be possible that someone else could name your tabs? And it's like, well, clearly you don't understand how the system you, <laughs> you use works. works. Um, and, uh, and he's like, well, you're just not working out here anyway. And, you know, so because you, get, you never get fired in a bar for exactly – sometimes you get fired for what you did. More often than not, it's just like we use any excuse we can to get you out of here. And that was the one time I got canned, and it was just on that, on that thing. And on the way out, I was just like, still didn't name those checks. You could say whatever you want, but you, that didn't yeah. happen. I've yeah. only gotten fired one time. And I was hired to take someone's job. And when they found out, all of a sudden my schedule started getting thinner and thinner. It was the person who was making my schedule. Mm. And all of a sudden I was late when I wasn't late and things like that. Oh, I, I called you. You were supposed to come in a half hour early. So yeah, you didn't call me. I, it's a cell phone. It says who's called me and when. Like you did not. Oh, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I left a message. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon he was like, hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah. And it's a right-to-work state. Right. So they can fire you for any reason as long as it's not provable and discriminatory, right? Right. And then I would see the guy because he lived near me. I would see him at the bar, and he'd be like, sorry, man. I had to get rid of you. You are going to take my job. It's <laughs> <sighs> a mess. And I was like, well, I understand. But I wasn't going to accept it. I know they hired me to do that, but I looked at your job. I hated your job. I was happy to do what I was doing there and not have any responsibility. Because that's all I really want. <laughs> is then I have any responsibility. I want to show up and I want to leave and I don't want to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a hard time getting bartending jobs after managing for so long because they're like, well, we don't need a manager. I'm like, I don't want to be a manager. I want to show up, do my job, do well, and go home. I don't want to have to do anything. I'll always, I'm, I'm always on time. I never, you know, whatever. Like, I'm a good employee. But a lot of people just, I don't know, it's a mess. No, I did, a, uh, I did an interview when I first came back. My second job I ever had was a cheesecake factory in the Hancock. Oh, God bless you. I know a guy who works there now. I, you know what? One of the best jobs I ever had in Chicago. Oh, for real? Yeah, absolutely. I made a – it was great money. It was easy. 
a uh, ton of people work there. So, you know, great different pool of people to meet. Very diverse. It was I met a ton of people that I'm still friends with to this day. One of the few places that that's ever happened. Uh, I walked in. I had my interview. I gave the guy my resume, and he's like, so you're coming off uh, owning a bar. Uh, you were just hired to be one of the managers at a place down the street. I'm uh, hiring my replacement. Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? You want to come here and wait tables and bartend, and then, and then what? I like my job, and I was like, I don't want anything to do with your job, man. Yep. And he was like, Yeah, but you're more qualified for it than I am. Mm-hmm. I was like, Cool. And as being more qualified, as being more, I don't know what I just said. <laughs> and that. because I'm more qualified, and because I'm more qualified, I can tell you. I don't want anything to do with your job. And I'm a great hire, and you should get me. Yeah. Yeah. You should take me right now, because all I'm going to do is I'm going to wait tables here, and uh, I'm going to take a couple of these people, and we're going to walk over to Pippin's every day at 4 o'clock when we're done, and that's what I'm going to do every day for one year, and then I'm going to quit. And he was like, okay. And that was it? You're hired. And I was like, and I guarantee you, I will work here one year or less. Because I don't want to take the bus when it's cold, and I don't have to. I got some money in the bank. We'd be in trouble if we ever unionized. I say we, like I'm still behind the bar. I'm not currently. But I, but I could be soon. You never know. That's how it works. Um, right. But, like, I was driving down – I'm driving down uh, California, and there's this construction company, and there's uh, – of course, the union got out there, and there's two big inflatable rats you've seen yeah. in Chicago, of course. And uh, I'm thinking about it. As I'm driving down here, thinking that you and I are going to talk today, going, I wonder what would happen if we tried to, if we tried to unionize – be a disaster. It'd be an absolute disaster because no one would pay their tabs. Right. No one would pay their. No one would pay in. <laughs> no one People pay would, their dues. Yeah. Would. No one would pay their dues. And like it's just this constant swapping. You get guys like I've been hired day of and gotten a job. Been like that night. Right. Like oh we need a guy. You you can sling get yeah you take right there yeah. and that's now. it. Yeah now yeah. and you're like I, uh, and you, you, and if the place sucks you're like hey uh, I'm gonna get out of here. They're like cool uh, two weeks great no problem and there's not yeah. even like any heartbreak about it. No, it's friendly. Uh, the place I worked at yesterday. Never worked there before. Just a couple weeks ago, somebody was like, hey, you want to come in? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I'll stop by. Should I do a follow shift? And they're like, ah, use Aloha before? Yep. Yep. Maybe get there like 10 minutes before. I'll show you where you put your stuff. Yep. It's like, all right, great. Well, let's, uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk, because you're the only guy I know um, who likes talking about the Beatles as much as I do. Sure. So, and it's a rock and roll show, and we haven't, we haven't talked about music yet. So, I'm bringing <laughs> that up. Um, we, we've been sitting here doing inside baseball for the for the the, the 15 uh, diehard bartenders that are fans of the show. Yeah. Um, and the re- the rest of you were like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Everyone's supposed to be a musician. Aloha um, means hello and goodbye. <laughs> thanks for bearing with us. Um, so, you, when did you become a Beatles fan? About 14, 13, 14. Yeah, it was about the same for me. Eighth grade, going into high school. Okay. My parents, very generous, have always taken people in. Uh, at any time, we've always had someone living with us who, you know, maybe it wasn't working out with their parents, whether it be one of my friends, my brothers, my sisters. At this time, it was a woman who worked with my mom. She's 24. Her, she and her fiancé broke up. To teach him a lesson, she stole all of his CDs. And he was pretty well off, so I got this huge wall of CDs. Okay. Uh, my neighbor from across the street comes over. And I was just into Chicago house music at that time. <laughs> that was it. That's all I cared about. Well, that's back when they used to play it on the radio and stuff. Like yeah. B96 at Chicago house mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So that was all I cared about. My neighbor comes across the street and he's like, hey, man, so you got all these new CDs. I was uh, a little older than me. Mm-hmm. Let's make a trade. 
comes out with Beatles Abbey Road still in the black cardboard case. Uh, oh, the tall box, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, let me get your uh, meatloaf bat out of hell. <laughs> I think you won that trade. And your Led Zeppelin too. And mm. I was like, yeah, I'm never going to listen to any of the CDs on this rack. I don't care. Oh, wow. Take it. And so I'm sitting there waiting. Now we're supposed to go rob cars that night because that was the crew I was hanging out with at the time. Yes. I had never done it before. Like my friends. No, like, not, not, not breaking, but like checking door handles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We used to call that car shopping. Not that I ever did that, but we gentle, used to. It was gentle robbery. Yeah, gentle robbery. It's not strong-armed. It's more like soft wrist. Yeah, yeah. it's nice. It's yeah. A friendly, it's a friendly robbery. Friendly neighborhood yeah, robbery. car shopping. You know, you get a change cup and a Bob Marley legend CD, and you yeah. go like, we scored! Yeah. Maybe you get some Oakley frog skins if yeah. you're really lucky. <laughs> some wraparounds. Nice but, pair of Tevas. So I, uh, I'm laying there waiting for the call. I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw this dumb CD in, see what it is. And I throw it in, and it starts. And I was like, well, that's not at all what I thought was going to come this, out of my This is not I want to hold your hand. Right. I was like, that's, that's nobody's she loving you. Mm-hmm. you know, no one's doing she loves you right now. And I listened to the whole thing all the way through. And at the end, I was like, ah, well, I guess I'll put it on again. I mean. Couldn't hurt. I mean, I'm just waiting for a phone call anyways. I might as well. So now the third time it's playing through, the phone finally rings. And I just tell my mom, like, Tell them I'm, I'm doing something. And I didn't go to the phone. And I didn't go with them. And uh, of that crew, uh, a couple of those guys ended up uh, murdering one of the guy's parents about two years later. Uh, murdered one of the parents of the guys in the crew? Yeah. One of the other fellows. It, uh, two more of them are passed away just through their own negligence, sure. we'll say. Uh, one guy's doing great. The other guy's just been in and out of jail. And kind of after I didn't go that day, I was never asked to do anything like that with them again. And I kind of knew right away. I knew right away what would be proven later. Like, I think something different just happened when I listened to this. Like your life changed. In a weird sort of way, Abbey Road changed, saved your life. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah, I would say that. That's amazing. I have a four foot by four foot Abbey Road painting Mm -hmm. uh, in my house above above the record player. And I've got about two dozen copies of... All Beatles albums, but but probably I actually probably have more revolvers than I do Abbey Roads, but just because you can't you can't help yourself from just picking all of them up if you yeah. see one you got to get it. Yeah, if I'm yeah. flipping through the bin at Lori's. Yeah, and there's any Beatles, it's like yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll just take yeah. it just because. What's that Holland edition? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's impressive, man. That's impressive. Um, is it? Uh, and it's just your favorite group still. Yeah, I think I I go in and out. There's definitely yeah. times where I I lean back on it. I would say, mm-hmm. yeah. When it's a time for, you got to slow things down and, and refocus, and that's when I'll pull out maybe like, like but, maybe pull out my mom's copy of, you know, the White Album that's stamped on the front a with a nice number, clean one, and it's gonna be choppy and yeah. And I do a lot of that. I buy records that are beat up, that mm-hmm. are Beatles albums. Somebody wrote their name on it. Yeah, for sure, I'm buying that. Because for some reason, you sit there and you listen to it and you're like, you know, maybe. This is what Angie heard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when she... Well, I was digging through, because um, my sister, I had, a, I had a pretty decent collection of vinyl, and, my little si- and I left it like in my parents' basement, and I moved out, and then my little sister took it with her to college, because... <sighs> so she took a bunch of, the, she took a bunch <laughs> of my records. Um, uh, hi, Chris, if you're listening. And uh, you recently returned them, and a lot, like my original White Album was not there suspiciously. My Abbey Road was not there suspiciously. I was missing a bunch of records and um 
but I, the ones that were still there were like the American rebrands that Capital put out, like Something New yeah. and things like that, like those the cash grab ones from 63, 64. Six. Yeah, exactly. And uh, had my mother's name written in cursive, like in the top corner. So I'm sitting here holding this artifact that's my mother's record yeah. that she bought listened to wrote her name on and it's the like and it hasn't left the family since and to me that's like such an amazing thing yeah that's a lot of my so i have my parents uh ram album i think it was my my mm-hmm. mom's ram i think i have my dad's all things must pass box set so i bought the 180 gram yeah but then i never that's not the one i play right you play the original one right Till it wears a hole in the yeah. You have Star Wars toys to play with, and you have Star Wars to- Star Wars toys that never leave the box, right? right? Yeah. And I have Star Wars Christmas uh, album <laughs> that we play all day on yep. repeat on Christmas. Oh wow! Um, but you're a George guy, right? I am. Yeah. Were you always a George guy? I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. You know, you bounce around. Sure. And then that just kind of, as I got older, uh, those songs spoke to me more. Yeah, I had a kid that uh, my I got into the Beatles right around the same time. I was about thirteen, and I had a friend in uh, seventh grade that I did not like. He was just like one of those kids that was in the group that I just didn't like. Yeah. And then one day we bonded over some uh, supposed atrocity that had happened to us, and I'm sure it was nothing. I'm sure it was like you're not allowed to sleep over, whatever it was, right? Something stupid. And uh, so we ended up having a sleepover just because, right? Because that was how you hung out in the yeah. suburbs. And um, he started talking about John Lennon. Right. And I didn't know anything about the Beatles except for what was playing on oldies radio. I knew I want to hold your hand and that kind of stuff. I knew help. Right. Or whatever. But that was all I really knew. And he started like telling me all these stories about John Lennon. because He was also like the first kid with the Internet back when it was like Netscape dial up. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know of a place where a bunch of guys it's called a bulletin board system. And you could it was just a bunch of guys talking about the Beatles. And he heard like he's telling me all these great stories about John Lennon. And I was like, this guy seems cool. (laughs) Why didn't I know John Lennon was cool? And then you're, and if you're 13, you're rebellious, you hate everything. Like, John Lennon's your dude, you know? He's yeah. your guy. And immediately I started to get into it, and he was way into it. And we, at the end, it was just like, now I'm a massive Beatles fan. And I hated Paul McCartney because he was like the teen idol type. But now that I'm older... You realize. You go back and you listen to the records, and Paul McCartney brought the rock. Like, all the great rock and rockin' tunes were yeah. all Paul songs. I've seen him like 30-something times Yeah. Now. It's at Madison Square Garden last year. Went and saw him. Oh, get out. Seen him at Fenway. Man. Of course, Wrigley. Yeah. Oh, I, I, saw that, uh, I saw that James Corden that you were mentioning the other yeah, day. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to cry. Have He's you ever heard uh, the Fireman albums, the electric no. records that he did with youth? No. no. Oh, they're, they're like EDM records with Seriously? McCartney singing. Yeah. I got to check those out. He does a couple of them in, uh, in concert, and they're fantastic. Now, I remember... I kind of knew when I was a kid that, like, Beatles had to be important because I remember waking up to uh, my aunt and uncle used to live behind us. Yeah. And I woke up one night to my parents, my aunt and uncle, and some other friends who lived up on the street uh, crying in the living room. Mm-hmm. And it was December 8th, 1980. Oh, God. And I didn't know that date then. Right. But I knew something bad happened if all the adults were crying and that uh, the newspaper stayed in our end table uh-huh. the entire time we lived at that house from the, wow. the next day. Wow. And I always looked at it. I was like, Beatles? Dumb. And then yeah. one day I was like, oh, shit. Oh, this, oh stuff. <laughs> yeah, this has to matter, right? Yeah. And, and it does. And it does. 
and it's so it's so cheesy to talk about. It's so corny to say this, but I talk about this a lot on this on this show. Is like the the records that we listen to matter. They impact our lives. They right. change our lives, and and the things that we bond with. Like you look at the number of people who just are were just mind-bogglingly upset about David Bowie or about Prince or I was talking about Charles Charles Bradley earlier and I was really upset about that like these records matter and they change our lives and even in a story like this one where just because you because Abbey Road literally saved you uh, yeah this matters man and and your first kid is Jude my first kid's name is Jude which I decided at Beatles Fest I smoked a left-handed cigarette in the uh, parking lot and we walked inside and I bought this clock and I was like, man, this yellow submarine clock is going to hang on my kid's door, and his name's going to be Jude. And I was 15 when I bought that. Mm-hmm. I think 15 or 16. I think 15. And uh, it hung on the wall in my bedroom. And when I went to college, I left it there, and they turned it into an office, built shelving in front of it. Uh, a week before he was born, my parents were like, we're thinking of getting a bigger house. I go, and I help my dad take down the shelving. And as I take down the one shelf, there's the clock on the wall. And Kate's do, like... You know, yeah. Pretty soon. And there it was. And I took it home and was like, guess what? It's going to be a boy because we didn't find out. I walked in the house with the clock and said, we're going to have a boy. His name's going to be Jude. And this is going on the wall. And she was like, yeah, just whatever. <laughs> and there it is, man. And now it's I'm now and the rest and the rest is history, dude. That's so cool. That's uh, that's so great. Uh, real quick. Will you uh, will you plug uh, the Under the Gun Theater? Because we got to get out of here. Yeah. Under the Gun Theater, uh, 956 West Newport. We have shows most nights of the week. Uh if you could come to the Lincoln Lodge, 8 p.m. Friday and Saturday, uh, America's longest-running independent stand-up showcase. On Friday nights, a show, Freak Fest, with Megan Stalter. Uh, she's just a, she is just my favorite person in the entire world, and everyone should uh, should get a chance to see her. In my opinion, Blackout Diaries, Saturday night at 10 p.m., hosted by. My wonderful friend, Baz, occasionally. <laughs> occasionally, yeah. And, I'll be uh, here a lot more in July. The so. Be in Purge, second Sunday of every month. You probably won't like it if you're not in the industry because we're talking about you. But I'll be doing it. So maybe yeah. come out to see me. I'm doing, I'm doing this week or next yep. week. July yeah. 8th. July 8th. That's the next one. That's and it. speaking of which, uh, tomorrow, July 3rd, Cuss uh, Cuss, Derek Brown, and uh, Lizzie Ellison of Cardioid, myself, Andy Carroll, Tim Stafford, Joel Shamar, a whole great lineup. Uh, you going to be there, John? I will be there. So come meet John. Come do the thing. And uh, we're going to play uh, We're gonna play a cardioid song uh, to play us out. Come check this show out. I'm really excited about it. The bar is excited about it. Under the Gun is a great space run by cool people. And uh, we need more awesome independent bars and awesome independent music and comedy venues. And uh, if you listen to this show, of course you know that. So come see us tomorrow night uh, at uh, Under the Gun Theater, Clark in Newport. The show is doors are at 7. Show is 8 o'clock. Tickets are stupid cheap. They're 15 at the door. And then 12 if you buy them online. Go to bustamouth.com for those tickets. Thanks again, John. Appreciate oh, you being you here, man. Uh, yeah. let's, let's play some cardioid, and I'll uh, see you all soon next week. Fears.